Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have best-selling author Charles Eisenstein. And Charles and I had a very remarkable conversation about how the knowledge that comes in through his books are channeled, if you will, from source energy, not from himself. How we can build a better world by building a better us, going inward for knowledge and understanding and strength, and so much more. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Charles Eisenstein. How are you doing, Charles? Hey, Alex. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for being on the show, my friend. I truly appreciate it. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of your work, man. You are you're doing uh you're doing good the God you're doing God's work in in many ways, helping helping society out. Uh, but my very first question to you, sir, is what how how did spirituality influence your work, and how did you like how did how did you even what was spirituality in your world in the first place, and how did it influence your work? Yeah, um, the, the word spirituality is really loaded, mm-hmm. and it can, a lot of people take it to mean something that's outside of the physical realm, mm-hmm. outside of the scientific realm. Mm-hmm. But I see it more as um, that which the scientific and physical um, modes of sensing have not yet acknowledged. Mm-hmm. So it's not like some separate reality from mm-hmm. scientific reality but it's the things that we do not yet know how to measure or maybe that cannot be measured mm-hmm. in fact i think that's ultimately where, where i would define spirituality it's everything that's qualitative and everything that escapes reduction mm-hmm. and so as as far as like how my work and my life has been influenced by that um i guess it goes back you know, I, I at university I studied mathematics and philosophy. I was pretty much, um, at least superficially, a firm believer in science and in the scientific project to encompass all knowledge within its <laughs> domain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a secret doubt, uh, a dissatisfaction with that, which probably uh, opened me to take seriously the experiences that I had following that, that showed me directly that uh, there is a lot to reality that I had not learned in university and that had been banished into unreality by the paradigms and belief systems that I had been indoctrinated into. So, you know, so for me, like spirituality is, I guess it's to first, it's to acknowledge and investigate and explore 
those things that are beyond what our society holds as real. Um, and secondly, the realization that that these excluded areas of knowledge and being go all the way to the root of what it is to be human, what it is to exist in the world. You know, they're not just like some curiosity out there, but they're they're core to who we are and therefore to living a meaningful and happy life. Well, let me ask you then, why are people so afraid in today's, especially the Western society, are so afraid to even talk, have open conversations about spirituality or these deeper mysteries uh, that they many times, you're right, look at oddities or phenomenon or things like that, that like, oh, well, that's just that. Or, you know, oh, my grandmother saw grandpa die, you know, met her at the bed. These kind of things that are kind of phenomenons. Why are they afraid to talk about it publicly more and more? And you're right, the word spirituality, I mean, you can't even say the word God. I mean, God is super loaded, unfortunately, you know, yeah. and now we have to call it the universe or the source, which I don't care, it, whatever you want to call it. But I remember, I mean, even when I was growing up, the word God was used very free, but now it's a loaded word. So I agree with you on the spirituality, but what is that? What's, what's your opinion on that? It, it, you know, some people are afraid to talk about it. Um, other people maybe talk uh -huh. about it too much. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I think the reasons are pretty obvious. Like, well, f some of the reasons are obvious. Like, you know, no one want, you don't want people to think that you're weird. Um, you don't want to people to think you're impractical and unrealistic and maybe a little crazy because in many societies, not just our own, <laughs> excuse me, um, the very definition of insanity is to see and believe things that are not shared by everybody else, right. which could actually, in a more objective sense, mean that you're eminently sane for not participating in a collective delusion. But from the perspective of that society, you are, um, you're mad. And no one wants to be seen as mad uh, and be ostracized. And, you know, historically, that could even be that you end up getting sacrificed by the mob. Yeah, burned at the stake. <laughs> yeah. So we have a, a very deep instinct not to violate the surrounding norms about about what opinions it's okay to express what 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 you can believe what what experiences you can share and so there's still some of that stigma around spiritual beliefs or spiritual experiences and yeah i think also there's an aspect of like this it's not just people don't only keep quiet about it and keep quiet about their anomalous experiences because they're afraid of what other people will think. Mm -hmm. It's also they're afraid of what they themselves will think. Right. It's 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 uncomfortable to acknowledge a bigger reality than the one that that is familiar and the one that is validated by the people around you. Because if you really take in and I don't know what you know experiences you've had that you would qualify as spiritual or mm -hmm. mystical. Um, I've I've had a few, and many people have here actually more than as you as you're saying, like 
a lot more have had them than are acknowledging it. Mm -hmm. um, but they're uncomfortable because if you really take that experience in and say, yes, that happened, then you are you have to admit that reality is a lot bigger than the one you've been operating in. And then your life doesn't make sense anymore. Right. You know, if, I, <laughs> if we're all connected, if I am more than just this, this body and this being, if I'm connected to everything and to every person, then my life my doesn't make sense anymore to to compete and to control and to to withhold from others and um it it turns life inside out and upside down anytime that you take in a data point an experience that doesn't fit the existing story and, and i mean and to go back to what we're saying in regards to the fear of the mob i mean the greatest fear we have from from rankings that I've seen is like death is number two, public speaking is number one. And that concept of public speaking is to be out, you know, ostracized by the audience, by the crowd, by the tribe, if you will. So there's a deep, deep seated, you know, feeling to belong because we needed to, in order to survive, we needed to be part of that tribe. But then this, the spirituality stuff and this, the phenomena we're talking about, you were saying that if you have any new data points, it, it just crushes the foundation. I've said this so many times on the show. It's like, if I was raised Catholic all my life and the concept of reincarnation gets introduced, if I take that data point and believe it, it destroys the foundation of what I've built my life upon. That's scary and has to be, and it shakes the whole world up. So either one, I accept it, two, I ignore it, or three, I fight against it, mm -hmm. which is what our main, what so many of the main problems of life is today in our society, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I just want to go back and, and you said one thing that I wanted to maybe expand on a little bit. Please. Um, this uh, compulsion to conform in our beliefs and perceptions mm -hmm. it's so powerful that that people will literally deny what they actually saw with their own eyes because it is this instinct that you're speaking of um to conform to get along it's a survival and you named it as a survival instinct but that's not necessarily because it helps the tribe or the band survive right it is because this is something I've written about extensively, but this um, ancient pattern of sacrificial violence that um, affected pretty much all human societies and still does today, where you have social conflict, you have cycles of vengeance, you have blood feuds, um, societies coming apart. And the way that peace is found is that everybody turns on a victim somebody or or a, a subclass of victims who are dehumanized ostracized ritually murdered and once that is accomplished then peace and harmony reign again because all of that bloodlust and that desire for vengeance and that desire to do something about this insult that has happened to me in this blood feud that has been expiated that has been resolved harmony reigns so 
in times of stress, of social stress, social tension, it is imperative not to be identified as subhuman, as somewhat <laughs> outside society, uh, as a witch, as a Jew, as a heretic, as an anti-vaxxer. As, as a Christian. A yeah, as a Christian in the Roman times, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. Like this, this mob impulse is terrifying like we like it's it's such a deep instinct that like you see it in school on the schoolyard you know yeah like, nobody wants to be the kid with cooties <laughs> and if right. you touch the kid with cooties then you have cooties too right. so no one will, will associate with him but why is this why is this so ingrained in our psyche as, as as a species because it's such an ancient pattern i mean this is the it's the pattern of the sacrificial victim something has to be done let's go find somebody to blame it on right let's go find somebody to kill i mean this was actually there's actually a lot of theology built around this because um the christ story was um if it, if it had fit the normal mythological template mm -hmm. then you know here we have uh an unruly mob we have social stress Pontius Pilate, he knows what to do. You direct the mob's anger, not at the authorities, um, not at um, other established factions of society. You direct it at a criminal, at a victim, at some, you know, a heretic, at somebody. And so, you know, he names Jesus as a heretic, um, puts him on the cross, you know, and, and is hoping thereby that the mob will be satisfied that something has been done. Somebody has been killed the problem has been solved. Uh, and normally that victim would be memorialized in myth as a villain, as an arch villain. Right. This is the, the this is the the storyline that we still find today in superhero movies and James Bond movies and stuff like that. You you find the bad guy, you kill the bad guy, and all the problems are solved. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but what the Christ story does is it turns that narrative on its head by establishing the innocence of the victim, the unimpeachable innocence of the victim, which then suggests that in fact, anybody who has ever been sacrificed to the mob or subjected to even capital punishment, I mean, that's another example of, of ritual sacrifice. I mean, capital punishment is highly ritualized. Mm -hmm. You know, the yeah. blindfold, the last meal, the last walk, like like all these kind of things. Right. Um, so it suggests that anyone who has been subjected to ritual sacrifice is also innocent. And we've all had that experience where, where most of us have had, maybe when like the class bully points to you and everybody joins in and it's like, but I'm innocent. You know, even if you have done something wrong, you're innocent of what is imputed to you, which is that you are the cause of social tension. You are the, so anyway, I, I wrote extensively about this and I'm not sure if we want to go, I don't know, I've already gone kind of deep into it, but <laughs> it's all good. It's um, all good. There's yeah. So, so I guess what I'm saying is that this, this, the, the overthrow of this pattern, which is suggested by the Christ story and not only by the Christ story, 
it's also like deeply in Buddhism as well and Hinduism. But the idea that that um, the origin of this pattern is our tendency to dehumanize each other, to stand in judgment of each other. Right. And once that is in place, once we have that tendency, we are easily manipulated by governments, by corporations, by demagogues, by the elites. All they have to do is to say, that's the problem. They're the problem. That's the subclass. Those are the ones you should focus on. But we're primed for that manipulation. So then that is why the concept of oneness is so difficult for people to grab onto. Now, you and I are one. We are all connected to a higher a higher being of source and that we're all at the end of the day connected in a way that nature's connected. Nature is a perfect example of oneness. They all work together to have, create an ecosystem that is balanced. There is, you know, tree, there is competition with trees for water and resources and things like that, but there is cooperation as well. But this concept of oneness is what great philosophies and great spiritual uh, you know um, uh, spiritual stories and spiritual traditions have been teaching even Jesus taught the concept of oneness that everything I could do you can do and all these kind of things right. but at the time everyone was like pitchfork 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 so why is it I mean I think now more than ever that where the idea of oneness is starting to come up with these kind of conversations and people are looking for these and listening for it but mm -hmm. What is it that, why do we need separation? What is it in our psyche or in our programming that is so easily to agree, like you and I are obviously different, but to believe that we're one, so much more difficult. Yeah, we could unpack that. Um, like, what do we really mean by oneness? Right. Because we are, as you said, we are different. Um, different expressions. Really different yeah. expressions. Yeah. So, so Right. We're, so we're different expressions of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And you mentioned, you know, uh, another saying of Jesus, everything I can do, you can do. And more. Right. And more. But you can take that in two ways. Mm -hmm. Another way to take that is, is everything that you do, I could do too. Mm -hmm. And that is the core of non-judgment. To say, whatever I judge you for, whatever horrible thing that you've done, if I were in your shoes... Can I be sure that I would not have done the same? Mm. Like, like, look at whatever public figure you you despise the most, and and you just it's just shameful. How could he have done that? You know, like I would never do that if I were him. Oh yeah, walking the you shoes. Were, <laughs> if you were subject to his entire childhood and his entire surroundings, can you really be so sure? Or are you just better? just made of better stuff. <laughs> the ego thinks so. <laughs> so. So oneness says we're all made of the same stuff. We're all ultimately the same spirit made flesh. Mm -hmm. We're all emanations of the creator. Um, we are all, and, and it's, in, in, in Buddhism, it's the concept of interbeing mm -hmm. that I am a, like a holographic mirror of all that is. I am the totality of my relationships. I am life. Mm -hmm. what, who are you? 
what are you? You are life. You're doing what life does from this vantage point. That tree out there is doing what life does in its circumstances, but we're all life. Mm -hmm. And that, for me, that that's where I take the idea of oneness. Um, it's not so much that our differences aren't real. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. We're not obliterating difference here and the whole human drama, but we're understanding that we are coming from the same source and maybe destined to return to the same source. And that kind of leads to the to one answer, at least to the to the philosophical question you raised, like why? Why are we in this separation? Why have we descended into this illusion of our separateness and generated all of these dramas <laughs> and horrors? <laughs> and it seems like we're lost in separation as a society. Like, like the human condition is incredibly degraded right now. And that degradation is mirrored by the degradation of nature. And it's a moral degradation. It's an economic degradation. I mean, the way it's a bodily degradation, um, horrifying. Why? Why do we do this? And I think that ultimately the answer has to do with the word I used, drama. That we're entering into these multitudinous dramas. Every possible story you can imagine has happened on this earth. In order to experience that, in order for consciousness to know itself through right. these diverse situations and stories, so that eventually, as we come back together, we are enriched by the journey. And, and like God knows God through the fracturing of God's self into these trillions and trillions of pieces and what's going to happen. And part of the story is that at a certain phase of it, it seems like we'll never get back to oneness. Mm. We'll never return to God. That dark night of the soul is a key part of the experience. And so, yeah, I'm getting really like theological here, but, mm -hmm. um, and I, we could make it practical, but maybe I'll pass it back to you for the moment. Well, listen, I mean, the, the, the one thing you said before was about um, the conditioning. Like you look at the, the most vile person that you despise publicly and what they're doing. And you're like, I would never do anything like that. Uh, but you are so right based on that person's life conditions, how they came in, because we all, I still believe we do all come in, in a pure state. Yet there is, and if you want to get a little bit more spiritual aspect, there are probably karmic things and other things that come in. You, I always, I always, because I have kids, I go, oh, well, she was programmed like that at the factory. Like, I have no idea how mm -hmm. that, we didn't teach her that. We didn't teach him that. Like, it, there is a programming that comes in. But that one of those programs isn't hate and isn't separation. That is taught. And that programming, um, as like Bruce Lipton says, the first seven years, uh, is so crucial because you pick up everything and you're pretty much programmed for life. You spend the first seven years programming yourself 
and then the rest of your life trying to deprogram yourself mm-hmm. to go back to where you came from at the beginning. So I look at when I see people who are doing things on in and this is on a deeper spiritual level, things that I wouldn't agree upon. You know, someone cuts me off in 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 traffic or I'm like, what is happening to them? Or if they're yelling and screaming or they're doing something like what what is happening? Mm-hmm. What has happened to them to get to that point? You read the news, you read the news, you see the news, and you see something vile. I'm like, what did it take for that human being to get to that point? To they convince themselves that that's what they needed to do at that mm-hmm. moment in time. So I look at it a little bit differently in regards to the programming. And I think mm-hmm. if most of us started to look at things a little bit more wider in awareness, I think things might start yeah. changing a little bit. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, or another way to put it is that uh, the way that our parents raised yeah. us, like their it's... good or bad parenting is only a very tiny part of the programming. Agreed. Agreed. You know, like in utero and in childhood, we're absorbing the zeitgeist. We're absorbing the attitudes of the whole culture. We're absorbing the, the stories and mythologies that that culture holds about, about what is real and what it is to be human. Um, we are um, epigenetically like processing mm-hmm. the trauma of past generations. Mm-hmm. Um, we are uh, repositories for all kinds of trauma and atrocities atrocities that happened all over the world that influence our incarnation. Um, you could look at that through a past life lens or simply like the, like these these events are in the field. And you could even say that uh, on a soul level, we, um, choose to be born into this difficulty, into this trauma, into this pain, in order that we may heal it. Right. So, so, which is kind of contrary to the normal idea of karma that people who have really shitty circumstances are it's being punished. punished for past life um, malfeasance, but it's actually it could be kind of the opposite that people who are in really bad circumstances volunteered for a big mission to 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 walk that journey and come back, or at least come partway back to source. Someone's like, someone's like, oh, like someone has to volunteer to be that abused kid to, you know, get cancer when you're three years old. Um, and yeah, when, when the more I, I realize this on a deeper than intellectual level, the less of an effort it takes to stand in non-judgment i I have a a friend who um his brother is just a real asshole like (laughs) like violent you know abusive narcissistic just like a real jerk you know Mm -hmm. and my friend is very angry at his brother but you know when we explored like what is going on i mean his just like all this anger but but we explored you know some of his early childhood memories when they were abused by their babysitter you know and his little brother you know three years old like getting like taken into a room and lord knows what was done to him you know mm-hmm. and then then it's like wow you really can't blame the poor guy for what he became when, I mean, a three-year-old, you know, sure, and then sure. being told, if you tell your parents, I'll kill your parents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A three-year-old is going to believe tra- that. The trauma. Sure. Yeah. 
the anger. So like, oh. and then you want to shift the anger to that babysitter who abused him. But what's that guy's story? Turns out that like two of his brothers committed suicide. Um, I mean, you know, who knows? Like his father was an alcoholic. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. So do you, then do you blame the father? And it just keeps going. <laughs> and it keeps going. And eventually you run out of people to blame or blame no longer becomes the best strategy to try to change this because really that's what we want. It might feel gratifying to punish the wicked, but I like to ask if you could, if, if, if what it takes for a, for this never to happen again is that the wicked get off scot-free the perpetrators the Illuminati, the power elite, the human trafficking, Satanists, et cetera, et cetera, whatever you hold in your worldview, if they get away with it, but it never happens again, are you willing to pay that price? Are you willing to pay the price of you're never vindicated, of you're never celebrated as having been right all along? Mm. Are you willing to pay that price? What are you willing to lay on the altar of healing? Because it's going to take a lot. Because as I said, we are deep deep in it we're deep in the pit of hell but that's but that's ego though yeah that's absolute ego when you i mean you just said it very so clearly like if they can get away with it and you are guaranteed it will never happen again can you let it go ego won't let it go because you've been wronged but if you're able to transcend ego a bit and forgive that's where you know jesus and all the spirits forgiveness it's right. so powerful, you know, empathy, forgiveness, these much more powerful than vengeance because it's a right. lot harder to forgive than it is to get revenge and vengeance on someone because it feels good for the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the thing for it's an instant moment, but afterwards, then you probably feel guilty about the vengeance or, or you have to deal with that, that weight where in forgiveness, it's harder, but then you're good. It's it's Mm -hmm. kind of like a cleansing almost. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah. And, And when you get vengeance, I mean, this is what we talked about at the beginning, the, the, the origin of this social pattern, like somebody gets vengeance and they feel good and everyone connected with them thinks that, that was great, you know, but then the guy that he killed in vengeance, what, what, do, what do his brothers think and, and his children and right. his wife and her, and her brother-in-law and, right. you know, like they want to get vengeance back and they do, and then they feel good and, and it goes brother. back and forth. Right. Or you could forgive and stop and it stops. Right. And what does it take to forgive? And this is the link back to non-judgment, mm-hmm. which comes from understanding what it's like to be somebody else. And when you hear that story, oh, like this guy was abused too. Uh, He was once upon a time, a cute little Sweetums, you know, an innocent baby. He wasn't born bad. Right. And then he went through this, that, and the other thing. And he became like, once you know the full story, it's not actually hard to forgive. Mm -hmm. It's actually almost unstoppable. You know, if if you have to make an effort to forgive, usually that means that you're missing some information. It's very true. It's very yeah. true because you're right. 
every monster that's ever walked the planet came in as an innocent baby. Yeah. Uh, throughout history, any atrocities that were done throughout history. And, and then at this point, people talk about psychopaths and so forth, and there's exceptions to that. But I think, you know, to account for that, we can take it to the other, like the level of karma and epigenetics. And, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, as a general rule, um, they're babies. They're just, in, I mean, when they were, they first come out, they generally aren't psychopaths at one month old, generally speaking. Something might occur in their in their systems, in their brains, uh, in, in the programming, but generally speaking. And if you could understand that, it starts to clarify things a little bit. But sometimes the anger is so strong and the wanting for vengeance is so strong, it clouds completely. And the anger is okay. Like, I'm not... Like, you know, you can be angry, that, obviously. Yeah. But it, what happens, like anger is a powerful energy for yeah. transformation. Mm -hmm. it, it says, no, not anymore. No. But when it is channeled onto hate, onto blaming someone or something that isn't the real cause of the problem, the anger is neutralized. The transformative power of the anger is neutralized because mm -hmm. it's not actually going towards the source of the problem anymore right it's like you know it's like like in the middle ages when when the black plague came and murderous mobs went around killing the jews blaming them for poisoning the wells and making everybody sick right and they were like yes we've done something about this we've got <laughs> revenge you know but did it help solve the plague not in the slightest so this is a, a classic example of of anger diverted onto hate or fear ask, diverted onto hate. Let me ask you this because, I mean, obviously <clears throat> you you have an intellectual mind uh, and you think a lot about things, but yet you also have a spiritual side. How do you balance these two energies? Because the intellectual is a different energy than the spiritual. And how do you kind of balance, how do you balance that? It's not a matter of balance. It's about understanding the um, the role and utility of the intellect. Mm -hmm. um, it's as <clears throat> the the intellect is is a way to gather certain kinds of information that then feed into the body into the heart and inform the heart's choices. The intellect is also a way to play. Mm. Um, it can accomplish certain tasks. It's useful mm -hmm. for certain things. So it's a, for me, it's about recognizing what it is and is not useful for. Like for well, example, okay. I'm trying to make a choice about um love right and who to spend my time with it's not going to do much good to add up the costs and benefits no it's in not my mind. <laughs> not <No>. at all <laughs> not a good way to, like you can try to choose that way but it won't you'll you, for one thing you'll always regret your choices because you can never add it all up <laughs> and you will also be indecisive right You'll never be certain, you'll never be confident in your choices. So that's like a classic misapplication of 
what we're calling intellect. Because love is unquantifiable. So it's right. it's completely unquantifiable. So if you try to add intellect into a power like love or a feeling like love, uh, I can't, I mean, there have been people like plus side, you know, plus side, negative sides. Should I love this person? Should I marry this person? That kind of thing. And you can't quantify it no matter how intellectual you might be. Right. But has there ever been a point though that your intellect has gotten in, in has become a hindrance in your spiritual understanding? Because some of the concepts in spirituality do not jive with intellectual reasoning, you know, materialism versus quantum physics, if you will, those kind of things. Like they're, they're two very separate things, but you seem to balance them and you seem to work. I said the, the word balance, but you seem to play with them equally. Well, it's it's that, so maybe we'll talk about reason rather than intellect. Okay. Um, the places that reason will take you depend on your starting point. Mm -hmm. Depends on what you take for granted, what you assume. So a lot of what we know through our spiritual faculties does seem to contradict what reason tells us. Mm -hmm. But that's because reason is based on the idea of a separate self in an objective universe. Mm -hmm in which change happens when a force is exerted on a mass. So it seems irrational to um, expect synchronicities to happen when you let go of control. That seems irrational. It seems irrational to expect um, that a change will happen in a distant part of the world because of your person, that your personal choices have any effect on what happens globally. Right. Um, but that's because of the foundation, the foundational assumptions of our reason, mm. which are separation. So suppose you say you you suppose you you have different assumptions. For example, you have the assumption of interbeing, that I'm intimately connected to all that is. Therefore, anything that happens within will be mirrored by something that happens without. Therefore, the intelligence of myself is mirrored by the intelligence of the world and of all things. So, of course, there's going to be synchronicities when I'm not imposing my own order on the external world. So this is like a different foundation of reasoning. Mm -hmm. It could be as simple as, as I'm not separate. We're not separate from nature. Therefore, the well-being of the soil will be our own well-being. Right. And I don't know how, maybe. Maybe I don't know the chemistry <clears throat> or the biology. But as a basic principle of interbeing, what I do unto thee, I do unto myself. And that's actually the esoteric interpretation of the golden rule. Right. It's not a rule. Do unto others as they, as you would have them do unto you. It is... As you do unto others, so you are doing to yourself. <clears throat> so, so if we take those as foundational assumptions, then reason will be aligned with spiritual understanding. It will not be in conflict with it. But it all depends on the foundation that you're talking about. So like indigenous people, like you were saying, have a much con more connected to nature. And yeah. they and they look at... at, at uh, at Western society, 
with oddity. Like mm -hmm. I, I was, I forgot who I was. I was interviewing someone or I read it somewhere. I saw it somewhere where there was a, a story of uh, somebody who came in to uh, a tribe in Africa and said, oh my God, you're doing such amazing work here. You should come back to America with me. We can start something together. And he's like, America? You mean where they where people jump off of buildings because they can't deal with life? No, thank you. <laughs> like they just, it was so far beyond their concept of their foundational understanding of life. They're like, no, 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 no. I don't need more. I don't need more separation. I'm happy where we are. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So it's, it's, this is such a deep well of, of a conversation. We can go in so many different directions. Um, well, you were saying something earlier when I wanted, I wanted to touch upon that God or source, we are expressions of it. Everything's expressions of source, whether it's the trees, the ants, the soil, all of it. I came up with this hypothesis that we are God's algorithm each one of us, in a sense that there is a predictable path, but at any moment it has free will and it can jump left to right. And it's exploring and learning and growing. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's some, there's um, an important insight in there. Because on the one hand, we can we can say if i were in those circumstances i probably would have done the same mm -hmm. but that kind of gets deterministic like what about choice mm -hmm. so i go back to i go actually to the example of um quantum mechanics and the single slit experiment sure where you're shooting a beam of whatever electrons or photons through a aperture and you can predict probabilistically what the distribution will be where they where the diffraction will will show up on the detector screen. So there'll be you know the highest density in the center, and then there'll be like this bullseye pattern, right? So in a way, it's predictable. However, from the perspective of each individual photon, it's totally unpredictable. I mean, you can predict it probabilistically. It's more likely to be in this era area, and the chance of it being out here is you know thousandth of a percent and the chance of it being way over there is one in a quadrillion right. like you can say that but each one behaves well quantum mechanics they call it random or a causal mm -hmm. but another way to say it is that each one chooses where it will go mm -hmm. so we could look at ourselves as the same way <clears throat> we are these um souls that are propelled through the aperture of our circumstances, mm. which makes it very likely that, you know, you are an abused child, you grow up to be an abuser yourself. Like those are the, that's the, that's the likely Path. place where you will land. Yeah. But you're not determined by that. You have choice. And what then are the um, conditions by which you will choose something else? And this gets into um, experiments with um, 
psi phenomena, where 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 human beings can actually influence the so-called randomness of quantum random events. Mm -hmm. So there's an aspect of consciousness that when awakened and applied can alter the probability of, and I'm, I'm just kind of drawing a metaphor here, alter the probability of where you as a soul will end up, even subject to all of the, the constraints of your aperture, subject to all of the influences of, of your conditions that you're born into. You're not, you're not compelled by those. You're not determined by those. Mm -hmm. So looking at it, like if you want to take like a political or social lens, um, I think that this understanding provides a way to unify the like left-wing idea that, that um, the, the fate of people who are born into poverty and oppression is solely due to the system. Mm -hmm. And it kind of takes away their agency. Mm -hmm. and disempowers them and makes them like these objects of charity. Mm -hmm. And then the right-wing view is like, no, they could choose something else. Mm -hmm. You know, don't take away their agency. Don't take away their choice. You know, don't make it easy for them just to, to uh, receive handouts. Right. Mm -hmm. And both of them are missing the other piece of the picture. Like, yeah, like we should definitely change the system because the likelihood and the majority that go through this horrific aperture of poverty and addiction and so forth, they're going to end up in a very bad place. Um, so yeah, we do have to look at the system. We can't just say, oh, it's their own choice. But we also have to um, embrace and acknowledge and recognize that 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 each one of these people is capable of choice is an agent of divine volition mm -hmm. and to not reduce them to their circumstances well i mean and you are so right because if there are people who are born into uh, abusive families and one one path is well if i was abused i'm gonna probably abuse when i get older or the other path is like, I was abused. I will never allow anyone else to get abused. Two very different paths that happen all the time by choice. Now, what skews them in which direction? Could be that programming in the factory. Could be a kind word. Could be a book. Could be a movie. Could be a story. Could be another friend. There's so many things that could skew one way or the other. Uh, but there is choice. There is choice. Um, but like you said, you know, walk in someone else's shoes before you judge them. Because mm -hmm. if you walked in the same path, who's to say that you wouldn't have made the same choices that that person did? But there is these anomalies of like the algorithm. It kind of just kind of goes where it's going to go. And, you know, I don't know how far you've gone down the, the rabbit hole in regards to souls karma soul blueprint and the idea that we create the circumstances that we come into this life to learn and grow well if we understand and i i've asked this to great spiritual masters i go well if we wrote everything what, where's free will and the concept that i've been that's been told to me is that there's these giant markers of things that you want to accomplish 
you will get to those. Now, how you accomplish them is up to you. And you can choose not to accomplish them. That's completely your choice. But these are the things you set out to try to accomplish in this lifetime. So probability of you and me becoming <clears throat> astronauts or NBA players, probably not going to happen. <laughs> as much as we might have wanted to early on in our lives. <laughs> what? I'm not going to become an NBA player? I mean, I'm, I'm going to try. Oh, out for the, I'm trying out for the Lakers next week. I don't know about you, but. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, you know, if you want to look at it from the perspective of soul blueprints and stuff, mm -hmm. um, it's that the soul creates the, the conditions and the dilemmas and the choice points mm -hmm. in which you exercise free will right. and learn from those choices, but right. it does not dictate your choice in advance. Some of the situations that it creates, it's almost, you know, it's almost a foregone conclusion that you will choose something rather than something else. But what the soul creates is really what you might call the garden of forking paths. Beautiful. The soul that. creates the menu, but you make the choices. The soul creates the, the maze, but you choose the path. Right. Yeah. And it, But it does lean, like you said, these, there are certain sets of circumstances that is a foregone conclusion that you're like, it's 99% that he's he or she's going to walk this way. But there's still that 1% that they might go the other way. And it happens all yeah. the time. But, uh, and also like, so so the, the way that we're looking at it is, is a bit simplifying, but mm -hmm. it's also that like, what are the conditions of the choice? And you referred to some of them earlier, like maybe that abused child did have a kindly grandmother who gave him just enough love, you know, that, that he was able to take a different path. Well, we also create our own conditions by um, the the choices that we make day to day and moment to moment of where to put our attention that create ourselves as somebody who will pretty much automatically do something in a certain situation that looks like you're making a choice, but you're not. You're on autopilot. You've already created yourself to be the person who will pretty much automatically react in that way. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. One of the ways to do that is through the stories that we feed ourselves. So for example, if you're, oh. if you're walking around, we're constantly running a story about how rude people are and self-centered they are. <laughs> and then you're out driving and someone pulls out in front of you it's not like you're making a choice when you like lean on the horn and flip the guy, the bird, you know, and drive past. And it's like, it's like you were possessed by something. Mm -hmm. Do you really feel like you're making a choice in those moments where you just lose your shit? No, you're not making a choice. Then you've already created yourself as the automatic being that will do that by the stories that you fed yourself over time by the, the, like the small choices that seem small in that moment that program you. It's really interesting that you bring stories. I'm not sure if you know, I come from Hollywood and filmmaking in that world. So I'm very, a, a real deep understanding of storytelling and the arcs and all that stuff and the power of story. And the stories that we tell ourselves is the story, is basically the programming of our life, is the, the way we look at life. So that's why the dangers of walk going down 
a rabbit hole on social media that's constantly feeding mm-hmm. you and reaffirming these stories that if you went down the wrong path or not the wrong path, a, a path that was destructive, let's say, or a story that you believe that this group is bad and they just keep feeding you that, 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 and that, and that, it just reinforces it. We've never had a machine like that in the history of man that can t- you're, you're completely in a complete bubble. Mm-hmm. And your entire life view is if you watch the same media, you watch this, everyone's keep saying, yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. Everything's horrible. The world's ending, blah, 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 blah. I actually, just to play around, when I was when I was on Facebook, I would start to watch and click on only positive, spiritual, like Yogananda and yogis and stuff. And I wanted to see what it would do. And it kept feeding me. The good stuff. It kept feeding me more videos, more content, more things like that. I was like, oh my God, how powerful is this thing? And it's mm-hmm. so, it's just all depends on the beginning story that you tell ourselves. So my question to you is, how can we reprogram ourselves? Which is the goal of our, honestly, the entire life. Like I said earlier, first seven years, you're programmed. The rest of our life, we're trying to deprogram ourselves. What mm-hmm. advice do you have for people who are trying to change the stories and it could be stories about love it could be about weight it could be about politics it could be about money it could be about health it could be about everything how mm-hmm. do we reprogram ourselves yeah okay so you, you may have noticed uh when you go down one of these rabbit holes on facebook if it could be the positive one where you're just yeah. giving yourself positive information it could be you know whatever political ideology that you keep getting confirmation bias that affirms it you may have noticed that each of these stories, each of these belief systems that you can choose isn't just an intellectual construct, but it has a feeling quality. It corresponds to a state of consciousness. You experience yourself, you experience existence in a different way in co-resonance with each of these stories. Like I noticed when you know, I go down one of these doomer rabbit holes. Um, like I feel a certain way. Okay. And I notice that I, even though I'm supposedly more informed about all of the horrors and problems and crises in the world, I actually end up doing much less about it mm. because I'm missing key information. And in a way, like something similar happens if I'm only surrounding myself with light and love and pretending that certain things are not happening on this in this world mm. so i guess i i um tune in to what is healthy food for my spirit right. and you know sometimes you know it's ice cream it's cookie, it's sweet, you know, but too much of that. And I'm going to get soft and flabby. Like sometimes I need the bitters. There's a saying by a Chagim Trunkpa that I really appreciate in this regard. He says, if you can hold the pain of all the world in your heart while never lifting your gaze from the great Eastern sun, then you can make a proper cup of tea. Mm. 
Can you unpack that for me, please? <laughs> yeah. So you have to you you have to be able to be present to all of the horrors, all of the atrocities, all of the degradation, all of the the despair. Oh, got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also be present to the joy, to the miracles, uh, to the um the power to choose. You have to be present to that too. Mm -hmm. If you have just the one and not the other, you're not playing with a full deck. You're not going to be able to act appropriately, which is what it means to make a proper cup of tea. We have right. to be able to take it all in. Well, that's the, that's the journey of Siddhartha. I mean, that's literally mm -hmm. the journey of Siddhartha. He lived in a castle and he didn't even see age. And then, the, then he was not, he had missing pieces of information. Right. And once the reality of the world clicked in, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I have to go on this path and figure this all out. But you're right. If you hide away in a cave and meditate for 50 years and don't understand what's going on in the world, I think that we all come down here to be part of this world and have our place in it. Some uh, people come down here to meditate in a cave for 50 years. Exactly. Like, yeah, they're doing important work too. It's just like we shouldn't take them as role models. You know, right. if all of us yeah. did that, it'd be difficult. <laughs> yeah, and everyone probably, has a path. Everyone has a path. Yeah, it's not what I'm here to do. It's probably not what you're here to do. Most people listening, it's probably not what they're here to do. Um, but what is yours to do? Mm. That nobody can tell you. If somebody tries to give you advice, that's not. You know, like blanket advice, general advice. Here's mm -hmm. what you're here to do. It's not going to be accurate. Only somebody who knows you so deeply and so intimately and loves you might be able to help you understand what is yours to do. But that is the question that invites the answer. To even, because it's it comes from a place of there is something that is mine to do. Mm -hmm. There is a... a a beckoning, a call to which I can respond. And holding that question will attune you to um, opportunities uh, to discover the answer. Well, I mean, that's the basis of the call and the hero's journey. You know, the, the hero is sitting around and then all of a sudden there's a call to action, a call to adventure. And that's the call to what we're supposed to do. And then all the trials and tribulations and and that's probably why that, why, you know, for everyone listening, The Hero's Journey by Joseph Campbell, who uh, was able to do all, understand myth and in, in really brought myth into the Western world in a way that no one had ever had before. Um, it is in a complete analogy to our lives. You know, The Hero's Journey is a microcosm of what we are going through. That's why it is the most powerful, popular storytelling technique to this day, it is the basis of every big blockbuster, every big yes. story. It's always that. So, although I, actually, I think that there are other oh many storylines that oh, are many. maybe becoming even more important today. More important, yes. Popular, and there's a reason right. why they're popular because they've been going around since Hamlet. They've been going around yeah. since you know the Epic of Gilgamesh. I mean, the, the, this concept. But yes, I agree with you. There are other storylines that should be more important than just the hero's journey. Um, what is one of those storylines? If you don't mind me asking, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. 
Um, I guess it would be the stories that define other archetypes. Mm -hmm. um, they're kind of hard to access, um, but I guess there's the story of the hero's return. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Like, what does a hero do after, after Princess Leia <laughs> pins the medal on his chest? Like, now what? You know? <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, the hero is um, a boy archetype. It's the, the culminating boy archetype. And we need man archetypes. So the um, I think that that ultimately we'll discover plot lines that are built around man archetypes and woman archetypes that are mature. Um, which right. may not even be a journey. You know, you know like why is it always a journey? <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is I actually had the opportunity to speak to a story uh, a story analyst who this developed the feminine hero's journey and i blew my mind because i'd always it's always the male you know and male male's hero's journey has this has a lot of guy stuff <laughs> that we have to work out but i never thought about the feminine hero's journey and she is going through so many different i mean similar in the heroes but the things that are happening to the to the heroine is so much different and it's mind blowing. It was just like, oh my God. And the, and then she started showing movies of those of the of the, That's of the feminine. It's really yeah. fascinating. Because it can't just be, you know, it can't just be uh, a you know a female switched in for the male and having no. the same thing. You mm -hmm. know, that's not that's not what it is. Um no, there's things that women's the women women again yeah. speaking as a male, but women have a much different journey than males do in society in general and all of the things that they went through and her, I mean, I, I wish I could remember them off the top of my head, but there were so many key points uh, mm. that were again, lining up with the male hero's journey, but how the feminine translated that is yeah. in, into their own internal uh, journey and evolution was fascinating, really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of you kind of make me want to uh, like go back and look at some of you know Grimm's fairy tales and some of the uh, right um, mythological literature of the West and see like because there are some you know female main characters in those mm -hmm. and a lot of times there's like an overlay of patriarchal values but there's still underneath that you can sometimes perceive a much older story mm -hmm. so that's that's it that'd be an interesting inquiry um although i'm kind of like i don't know man i'm like right now like in this time of of intensifying crisis i'm kind of getting caught up in being engaged in you know current affairs well let me ask you this then what is your opinion on what effect will spirituality have and should have on the evolution of society in this new world, hopefully that is that we're evolving to towards. You know, what is your hopes for the transformations fifty years, hundred years from now, and what part of spirituality have that in that? Well, spirituality can only have a positive effect if it's integrated into materiality. Mm -hmm. If we take seriously the things that have been exiled, 
into right. the spiritual realm. Right. They, they have to be let back in. Otherwise, there's no chance mm. for this planet to even make it. We, we, the, 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 if we limit ourselves in our practicality to those things that the old story of separation validates as real, we will never change anything. Mm. We, will, we will be overcome by the powers arrayed, arrayed against change. We have to access the possibilities that have been relegated to the spiritual realm. Technologies like the art of being at exactly the right place at the right time and meeting just the right person mm -hmm. that you can't force to happen. Oh, how many times did that happen to you in your life? That all of a sudden the right person at the right time yeah. opened up the right door and your entire life changed. <laughs> right. That you couldn't right. Imagine, have controlled. <laughs> right. Yeah. Imagine if 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 we're able to wield that power in our efforts to, you know, reverse ecological degeneration or social degeneration or mm -hmm. nuclear war, mm -hmm. you know, we, we need those kinds of abilities and the things that, that like we see all the time in the, you know, alternative health field. You know, my wife is a healer. Mm -hmm. She like cures medically incurable conditions pretty much every day, you know, mm -hmm. like, and people go back to the hospital and they're like, the doctors are like, well, I guess we don't need to do the surgery after all, you know, like, like, are we just going to shunt those off into some airy fairy realm called spirituality? No, we got to take those in. And when we take those in for real, the whole medical system changes. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, you know, that's a, just one example, what's possible for the human body is possible for the social body, the body politic, the ecological body. Like there, there, there are vast creative powers available to us when we no longer hold ourselves as alone and the only intelligence in the world. When we're able to ally with the intelligence of the body, with the intelligence of the soil, with the intelligence of nature, the intelligence of the oversouls of the animals, mm -hmm. the intelligence of the whales, the intelligence of, of the cosmos, of the stars, of the sun, like we are not alone here. The, the, of the ancestors, there are, are, we can call them spirits if you want, but they're real. Mm -hmm. And when we shift into the worldview that holds them as real, they become real. And have you read uh, Maladoma Somme's book of Water and Spirit? You mean, uh, not, I'm not sure if that's, is not the one where they put energy towards water and, and the water crystals? Not that one, right? No, no. Um, Maladoma Somme. I'm not, a, I'm not. I'm no, not he's a, a um, he just passed away, actually. He's a um, Dagara man um, from Burkina Faso. And this book of Water and Spirit chronicles his initiation mm -hmm. into manhood. Interesting. And, you know, the things that are part of that initiation, even the ones where he's permitted to talk about them, they're like very far outside the bounds of scientific reality. Yet, I mean, unless he's making it all up, which would be a story that you could occupy mm -hmm. to protect your worldview, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you will never be able to prove or disprove it. But unless he's making it up, like he's pointing us toward vastly expanded creative powers, vastly expanded power to change the world. We are not like these helpless, minuscule individuals facing vast forces and what can I 
what nothing I do will ever be enough. We are powerful. But the narrative that you just said prior to saying the word powerful is the narrative that we were programmed with. And that's the, right. the, the, the I mean, you know, that the, the, we are, we are just one of billions and we have no real power and blah, blah, blah. Whereas you go into the deeper spiritual traditions and they're saying, no, that's the opposite. You have all the power. You have the strength to change your world, to change your own personal world and to change the world around you, literally manipulating right. reality, um, manipulating yeah, the matrix, yeah. if you will. And the um, modern mind has trouble grappling with that because they're like, oh, but but what if you do that and everyone else doesn't? Then, you know, they're changing the world back from where you changed it. It doesn't work, right? You're still <laughs> only one person. Well, it takes the one person and the one person's energy to inspire others. And it just keeps kind of growing and growing. But what if they don't get inspired? What if they don't do it? See, this is... The, 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 like the solution to that is is so mind-blowing that it's very hard for me to really hold it in my mind for very long. Mm -hmm. But it is basically that that you shift into a reality in which other people are doing the necessary things as well. Mm -hmm. Reality is not a given. It's not static. It's not objective. Mm -hmm. So I it, it is very important what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. And you're moving into reality in which they are doing it. Well, I mean, and that's why physicists are having problems with quantum physics so much, because it is starting to disprove materialism and disprove this concept that everyone's been holding so dear for so many years that now something like quantum entanglement just makes no sense in the materialistic world. It makes no, completely no sense. The split, the split test that you were talking about makes no sense in the materialistic view, viewpoint and it's starting to change perception from my point of view from where i'm sitting and you know as a host of this show and talking to amazing people like yourself i see the numbers i see the people looking i see people searching for this information more so than they did five years ago ten years ago i have a hopeful outlook on life i do and and I, on the world and i do think that we are going to be changing, but look, just the, just one person myself and you're as a one person, you've written books, you've influenced millions of people with your writings around the world. I'm influencing millions of people every month with this show and getting these ideas out there, which didn't exist before. So there is a potential for one person to make great changes in the world and, and hopefully change those frameworks, change that foundational story that people have been telling themselves to hopefully yeah. be positive. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But I want to say um, that one's power to change the world does not depend on having a big audience. Agreed. Agreed. Right? Agreed. And the Absolutely. heart validates that because Absolutely. if you were like spending time with maybe a, a dying mother or dying grandmother mm -hmm. or like really being there for a friend mm -hmm. and maybe it takes days and weeks and months of intimate care mm -hmm. and you're not out there changing the world, you're just taking care of a child, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
the the mindset of separation says, well, you're not doing very much. You're not doing as much as Alex Ferrari, who's reaching millions. You're not doing as much as Charles <laughs> Eisenstein, you know? So, so, so put that kid in daycare and get on with changing the world. <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, that's the mind's logic Correct. built on the assumptions of separation. Correct. But the heart knows that actually this is the most important thing I can be doing right now because I can feel it. Absolutely. The heart is not lying to you. Absolutely. And Absolutely. we we really to for this world to really heal, we have to um accept, we have to trust that knowledge of the heart about what to do. It tells us what to do. We know it unerringly directs us what to do. And when you and you said this earlier, when you let go of control and trying to figure out the system and hack the system. If you feel it, so something like the grandmother, the kindly grandmother who was nice to the boy or the, per, the, the the child who was abused, that changed that child's life and in turn changed how many other lives purely by that one moment of love and kindness and attention. That mm -hmm. She literally could have changed millions of people's lives because yeah. one person could have touched another person, which then could have touched another person, and it could have gone on. Someone like the, the story you just said about, you know, taking care of a sickly child. Who knows who's that? who that inspires? It could just be the two of you, but someone else hears this story and goes, you know, I got a grandma. I got to go visit her. And it just, and it spawns. Mm -hmm. So, but I love what you said. Feel it. That is your guy. That's your inner GPS telling you what to do. And it doesn't have to be grandiose. Some of us are here to sit in a cave. Some of us here yep. are, to, are to stand at the top of the mountain and yell for everyone to listen to. Everyone has their place. But as long as you're following that feeling, that is the the inner GPS that you need to be listening to. I love that. Very, very well put. Yeah. And, and those moments of choice where like maybe it was really hard for that grandmother to give kindness and patience to that kid at that moment. Mm -hmm. It was a hard struggle. And she made that choice, even though nobody was watching, wasn't going on YouTube. Right. She had no idea that it was going to change the world, but she did it anyway. That's very powerful. It shifts the whole of humanity onto another timeline. That's the power that we have, because any choice that you make even and especially when no one's watching and your mind has no, no like conceivable pathway that it's going to benefit you. Mm -hmm. Right. You make those choices. You are making a declaration about what a human being is mm -hmm. and what a human being does in this kind of situation. You are declaring a reality into existence. And that it's like a prayer, you know, it, it, it literally shifts the world into a different future. One that is based on this declaration of what a human being is. Charles, I could talk to you for at least another four or five hours, uh, but I appreciate your time. I'm going to ask you a few questions. To ask all my guests. What is your definition definition of living a fulfilled life? I do not have a definition of that. <laughs> <laughs> at all okay how i'm not do, sitting around here with definitions you know well then how do you how do you define god same no, answer no same answer right, what and, is, and i would uh -huh. 
yeah i don't define god but it's it's um you know to reduce it to definitions <laughs> would be to like to like own it to control it you know it's beyond any definition and what is the ultimate purpose of life that one i could say something okay um, twofold one is to participate and contribute to the continued unfolding of life and beauty in the world and in the cosmos. Second is to appreciate with awestruck wonder and gratitude the magnificence of creation. My friend, uh, where can people find out more about you and your book, the uh, the coronation, your new book, the coronation, and other the work, other work that you've been doing. I just say my website, mm -hmm. charleseisenstein.org, and Amazon pretty much has all your books. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, on yeah, find, you can find me online um, <laughs> pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, and uh, do you have any parting messages for the audience, sir? Um, I guess if if you're you have this feeling, okay, but what do I do? Um, I would just say whatever that I've said that has landed on you as true, uh, trust the power of that truth and of that landing um, to work on you. Charles, There's nothing to be done. Yeah. Charles, I appreciate you so much, brother. And thank you for coming on the show. And thank you for the amazing work you're doing, trying to help Help, help the world and awaken the world at the same time, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks, Alex. I want to thank Charles so much for coming on the show and sharing his knowledge with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 262. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.